on Giddy Up, it's time for the debate. Brent O'Brien from thestraight.com.au. Hello to you. It's been a busy week for your organisation. It has been a busy week, Gareth. We've been uh, flat out. And uh, yeah, when I got back from Sydney last night, there was a little story there waiting for me to uh, to get stuck into. And uh, yeah, pretty significant one, I think. We've, uh, we've seen Chris Waller's entry into the Rose Hill debate. And uh, not surprisingly, he's, um, yeah... He, he, well, we probably suspected that he wasn't keen keen on this idea, but he was he was pretty emphatic in his, in his uh, response yesterday at this members forum meeting last night. Yep. Um, uh, hello to you, Mickey Gannon. Uh, gee, Brent, good morning. Uh, another day in racing and uh, it just never fails to deliver, does it? It doesn't. Now, some big breaking news today, and we've been talking about this for a little while, but it looks like Adam Hieronymus has lost the ride on Storm Boy. Just looking at the trials there tomorrow at Rose Hill, and this basically um, tells you the story that James McDonald's riding Storm Boy in the 10th trial tomorrow morning there at Rose Hill. So that doesn't mean officially that he's got the ride for the Golden Slipper because he's riding Switzerland. I reckon Macken might have the choice between Storm Boy and Switzerland. So if Switzerland comes out and wins by five lengths, then Ryan Moore will probably ride Storm Boy. So, but... We know, we know one fact, I think, today is that Adam Hieronymus, I don't think, will be riding Storm Boy in this year's Golden Slipper, Brent. I mean, what, what happened between this time yesterday and this time today? Uh, this time, like yesterday, we were saying that Adam, Adam Hieronymus was half a chance because he, he got the ride. Obviously, things changed pretty quickly in this business. And I think, uh, yeah, I mean, we, have, we did say that was a highly likely possibility that uh, with the horse now on Coolmore's ownership that we would... Uh, It'd be hard, probably hard for Adam to keep the ride. Um, as we suggested, Ryan Moore's probably the one who was always going to be in the box seat. Uh, J-Mac, the other one, of course. And yeah, it, it looks like it's come to pass. So, I mean, I'm sure the people have plenty of opinions about that, but uh, Coolmore have just forked out $20 million for a horse uh, and with the potential they may pay up to $60 million in the long term. So I guess they get to determine who gets to ride the horse in its biggest race. I don't know why people people get, like, racing such an emotional game, which I love. And I know there'll be a few Hippo fans will think, oh, he's done nothing wrong with this horse. And that's, well, he has done nothing wrong with this horse. And what he's been able to do is get the owners, 15-odd million at the moment, to sell this horse to Coolmore, being a son of Justify. Now, I would imagine he might get looked after with this deal as well. But Coolmore have two of the world's best jockeys. In fact, Coolmore have got the two best jockeys at their helm in James McDonald and Ryan Moore. So they'll have two horses in the Golden Slipper in Storm Boy and Switzerland at the moment if everything goes to plan. And you would imagine they will use them. Well, they will use those two jockeys. So I don't know which jockey is going to ride which horse at the moment, but I know that James McDonald's riding Storm Boy at the trials tomorrow, and he's riding Switzerland there on Saturday. So, McAdoo. Hey, G. Have, yeah. G, just before you get going, I'm looking at racing New South Wales, and, and Hippo's down. No, for no, Storm Boy. no, no. Have no, they not updated there's, it, or what, what's, there's what's a the secret, go? There's a secret that I've worked out, mate. There's a okay, secret. Okay, talk me through it. We, we did, did we tweet this, the, the, the screen from Racing New South Wales? Yeah, well, if you, yeah, a lot of people will be saying, Gareth, you don't know what you're talking about. So well, this you, is why I'm, this is why I'm bringing it yeah, up. Yeah. So if you if you go to Racing New South Wales, all right, and you tell yep. and you type in James McDonald, mm. his rides come up. So at Rose Hill, he's riding Kovalika tomorrow at the trials. Little Genie, Little Genie at the trials. Firestorm and Storm Boy. I learned this little ah. trick when I was trying to look who was going to ride Manos in the early part of his trials. <laughs> <laughs> and obviously, oh wow, wow, yeah. that's breaking news, G. Yeah. Can you see it now? Storm oh, Boy, no. James McDonald. Yeah. Wowee. 
So he'll be riding. Too good, you. Yeah. Too good, you. So there you go. I, I like. I feel for Hippo, but it's that's racing, and unfortunately, like it doesn't matter what circles that you walk in in life. If you're the best and you're getting opportunities more than others, it's because there's a reason for that. It's not just like James McDonald just arrived in New Zealand and everyone's looking after him and giving him um, free rides. He's actually had to work pretty hard to become the nation's best jockey. And when you get a relationship with Coolmore like he has, then um, it puts you into the box seat to get some lovely rides. And at the moment, Coolmore have got the two favourites for the Golden Slipper. So Ryan Moore's the other... The other beneficial, um, beneficial winner out of all of this because he'll be riding, of course, Switzerland or or Storm Boy, and we can't forget last year Maka did knock back the ride on on Shinzo, like he had the ride on Shinzo, and then he was booked to ride Cylinder in the Slipper. So that means that Coolmore had to go to to Ryan Moore at that in that situation. So um, yeah, it's it, it, this will. This will divide racing opinion a little bit, but I can completely understand it, Mickey Gannon. What's your take on this? Oh, well, we just hope that J-Max stays away from horses like Celerity because, uh, you know, a lot can happen in a month of racing. Yeah, I think I'm fine with it, totally fine with it. It is what it is. The best jockeys get the best rides, and, and that's the way it goes, and J-Max has a relationship with Coolmore. Uh, I love for Hippo to stay on this horse. However, it does just add more narrative. There's going to be plenty of eyes on the horse that Hippo gets to ride in the Golden Slipper. This Golden Slipper is not over. Barrier draws come into play. If Storm Boy and Switzerland somehow miraculously draw 14 and 15, and Hippo's on a Lady of Camelot or a fully lit drawn barrier three or four, watch out. He'll be hungry, Hippo. Well, that's what I mean. So, like, James McDonald and and Ryan Moore are booked to, like, they've got a relationship with Coolmore, of course. So that means that they have to take opportunities that, that come their way with this organization. So they might have another horse that might jump out of the ground late um, as a two-year-old, but they'll stick with the Coolmore runners. Um, and then why wouldn't you stick with them right now? They're the two favorite. But as you pointed out, Celerity was a big run the other day and I'm in love with that filly. Um, and she might come out and, and win a couple of weeks before the slipper and gain a start. So you need a lot of luck, barrier draws, track conditions, weather. There's so many different variables and I don't know, Gay Waterhouse and Adrian Bott for the first time for a long time in a big race. Uh, I know that we've seen like a few big, like Lloyd Williams might've had four or five say in a Melbourne cup, I think once upon a time, Brent, but I don't think we've, we've ever, and that's under the same ownership. So it's probably a little bit different, but for Waterhouse and Bott to have a Peloton that they might have in a golden slipper, all for different owners, of course, but we all know that they'll be all racing on the pace. So it is going to be fascinating to see how that all plays out as we get closer to slipper time. I think, um, I think, the, yeah, I think from memory, I've got some in the back of my mind in the early 2000s, Gabe might've had six in the slipper. Um, but, but just sort of thinking through that, like it is, it is a, it's a daunting act for the stable to get that right. Um, I mean, may not have seen the end of that yet. A couple of horses could emerge yet, but it, it certainly imbued that stable with a lot of confidence. They've gone to the sales this year and bought up well again. Um, yeah, they're very keen to to make this two-year-old uh, place theirs. Um, it was really interesting last year, as I think I mentioned we had a chat about this last week or the week before. You know, Chris Wallace had very few two-year-old starters to date. And obviously, uh, Gay and Adrian have, have had a lot and have uh, targeted a lot of these horses to uh, be up and about for a slipper campaign. And uh, they'll get the reward when, in, you know, six weeks' time we, we, or five weeks' time, we see them uh, 
step out and have a you know, fairly dominant force and a good chance of winning yet another golden slipper. 736 to join the conversation. Let us know what you think. Or you can join us on SEN Talk. It's a new way you can talk to us. Listen to Giddy Up on the SEN app and push the talk button on the top right of the screen and you can leave a mess- message. Let us know your thoughts on who should be riding Storm Boy. Um, think about it. It's the other chat that we'll have today. and We'll get into the politics a little later on. But think about it. Trial the house down. I thought on Tuesday morning, uh, it was it Monday morning. I've, it's, it's been a big week there at Warwick Farm. It was Would have been Monday. Yeah, G. it was Monday, definitely Monday morning because it wasn't yesterday. So Monday morning he trials, and I was interested to read the report there from Ray Thomas saying that they want to go down a Doncaster path, maybe um, a George Ryder Doncaster, then into a Queen Elizabeth. Now I thought to myself, and I was looking at that programming, and I'm thinking. I don't know if Joe Pride knows the handicapper or not, Mickey Gannon, but there's no chance in the world <laughs> that he's getting a weight that will see him compete, unless he wants to carry the grandstand in the Doncaster. Your thoughts yeah. on that? I don't, he'll get 60-60 plus, won't he? Um, I'm not a handicapper, G, but I can't imagine it's going to be a healthy weight for the horse. And no. I, I've got I've got big concerns for, uh, you know, if you're going to try, you know, go down the path of a, of a mile, toughest mile, one of the tougher mile races, um, you know, in the autumn and then try come back for an Everest. I don't like that as a preparation. However, Joe, who am I to question Joey Pride? What I will say is they, they try to stretch uh, private eye out and realize that he was a better, better sprinter. Uh, will they realize the same thing and will they waste the preparation? Maybe like if you know, he's good at what he does, why don't you just keep him to the 1200 well, and let him dominate? It's a rare type of situation that proven thoroughbreds find themselves in because they've got, two of the best sprinter miles in the country, if not the, the two best sprinter miles in the country. I, I know Mr. Brightside's yelling me at Flemington. Hello, Gareth. Um, and you make a good point, Mr. Brightside. But your proven thoroughbreds have got private eye and they've also got um, think about it. So they try and well, split know. them up at the moment. And and he might have a ridiculous – he might have a ridiculous um, – What's the word I'm looking for? It's a privilege in a way, but he might have so many runners in a in a TJ Smith. When you think about yeah. it, Joe Pride, Marsu, think about it. Um, Private Eye, if you went down that track, Cold well, Crusher did, could be another th- one. Think about it, did win a Stradbroke, right? Over 1,400 metres. So, yeah. look, there's no doubt the horse could get there. It's just what you want to do with next. 1,300, that is, isn't it? 1,300, the Stradbroke. Oh, I'll have a bottle of wine on it. It was 14, but um, I, I – th- this, you just got to worry, right? When they stretch them to 16 and they've got to come back to next preparation and their main target is 1,200-meter Everest, it is a, it is something in the back of your mind that you might be concerned about. Yeah, I but, don't think they'll go the Everest if he goes out and trip this prep. Oh, that's where the money is. Yeah. Well, you just got to keep like just keep turning up to the Everest, surely. Just keep winning that. Yeah, well, it depends what kind of deal you get. You, there's more money, I reckon, in the middle distance races sometimes, Brent, when you think about it. There's the Everest and that's it. There's $3 million yeah. in a champion sprint, but then you've got like races like um, um, the lead up races to say the Cox Plate, but then you've got the Cox Plate, the Champions Mile or the Champion Stakes. They're both worth the same as the champion sprint. Um, no, it's an interesting path which they're going to, to go down, Brent. I don't know if you can, yeah, I guess uh, if you've got a horse that's won the Everest, I don't know if you can start kind of fighting going mile and beyond. I guess what we're also looking about here is probably pedigree as well. To Gareth, I mean, you know, you've got a horse who's by so you think who we know is a, 
a champion horse up to you know two thousand meters was an absolute superstar. Uh, and I was pretty certain. Uh, if you looked back through his pedigrees, I was there the flying spur mare. His siblings are all sort of you know none of them really got up to a mile or one up a mile. They're sprinting further back in the genes. Horses like Keena Ray, who was a, a really good sprinter, even a horse like Skyfield, a Group One winner in in New Zealand, for, uh, sorry, in, in Hong Kong features in there as well. So um, yeah, so if, I mean, it's sort of on that perspective, you probably think there's a little bit of scope in terms of pedigree and, and what he can do, and 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 probably his racing style and the way that he does things as well. But I, I kind of also get the feeling that I just don't kind of get. I can, uh, maybe it's worth a shot this autumn. But I think the Everest has to be the the spring mm. target because it's worth so much money. He's also the defending champion. Um, I, I, surely, surely that's the race that you, you, you circle. And the other hundred percent. And he's only he's only five years old, right? Yeah. So so you'd be six year old in an Everest. Maybe maybe the next autumn, like I totally would understand that. You've won two Everests. You don't need the money. You know that would make more sense to but, me. But but what we know is that. Um, the Walter family with proven thoroughbreds and of course, Joe Pride are very smart operators and they're not deals sure. and they'll do the best possible thing for the horse. I would imagine. Um, so it, oh, there's, they, there's if, no question. There's no do, question if about they that. If do go down that path, it will be fascinating. I think the biggest problem that they might have with him is whether they can get him to settle. He does get, he gets, he gets wound up before his race is a bit like Mickey Gannon. When you tell him that you're going out on a Saturday night and he can have a lead pass from the kids there for a Saturday night. He's like, he's right on the bit. Um, um, so yeah, time will tell. It will be one of the most fascinating narratives for the, the autumn carnival. And would Gee, it, it would just, be great just do, if do me we, one favor. Yeah. And what I, what I would say is just go watch the giga kick stakes, which is over 1300 meters. Yep. It, that he did not scream my life no. to me. And and that's why it's, it's so interesting that Joe Pride's indicating that they might go down that path. It surprised me when I saw it the other mm. day. So um, yeah, we wish him the best of luck, him and Mr. Brightside taking on each other. That would be some race. Let's take a break. And you would think if they wanted to go down that path, they might've got him up nice and early for like an all-star mile worth $5 million. That might've been his race. Wait for age instead of trying to go to a Doncaster under handicapped conditions. 90 minutes past eight, Gareth Hall with you, Bren O'Brien from the straight.com.au and Mickey Gannon joining us. Just repeating the news that we found out this morning, just going to the Racing New South Wales website. That James McDonald's been booked to ride Storm Boy in the Golden Slipper, not in the Golden Slipper, I should say, in the trial tomorrow, which probably suggests that Adam Hieronymus won't be riding that horse going forward um, after the sale there from Coolmore that happened um, late last week. We'll take a break. We'll come back with plenty more straight after this. Welcome back to Giddy Up, Gareth Hall with you on this beautiful Wednesday morning, 25 minutes past eight. This is the Wednesday debate, Gareth Hall, Breno Bryan from thestraight.com.au and Mickey Gannon with you. Text messages are flying through. G-Men, plenty of stuff on socials from Zara back at Johnny O'Neill. Whack on him regarding Bold Bastille. We'll get to that in just a moment. Zara did it miss and I love it. Zara was having a wonderful time at Las Vegas. My phone was going off and he didn't miss the champ. So we might get to see what Johnny O'Neill has to say about that on Monday. Gareth, good morning. Think about it. Won't get close to 2,000 metres. Mark Sarah won't be riding for Johnny O and Aussie for quite a while after Monday morning's antics by John. I Like, people think that. I So if if Johnny and Aussie have got a favour in the Melbourne Cup, Mark Sarah's going to go, oh, sorry, Johnny, I'm not riding for you today because what you said about me over one ride there on Bulbasteel, that's not going to happen, whoever that is. And like, 
Mark Sara, I think he, like, he's a champ in the way that he took it. And he was obviously annoyed at Johnny's comments, but um, he's he's one of the most um, in-demand jockeys at the moment in the country. And we'll talk about this a little later on, but um, he'll be riding for Aussie Kerr and Johnny O'Neill again. And Ballarat Race 5 today, close watch on Bright Up and uh, Bright Up and Comer from the Brown Stable and uh, Pondalowi. So we'll oh, it'll be winning, G. Oh, yeah. Will it be winning, Mickey mm. Gannon? All right, mm-hmm. then. I'll jot that one down in our book today. Hey, we'll take the news, then we'll come back and we'll have a chat about this situation that Bren O'Brien was talking about on the straight.com.au. Chris Wally, you don't really seem this critical of anyone, really, but he's just come off the long run regarding the, the redevelopment at Rose Hill. We'll talk about this situation with Sarah and Johnny O'Neill as well. Um, plus, we'll get to your text messages, 0499 736 736 to join our conversation, 0499 736 736. Welcome back to Giddy Up, Gareth Hall with you on this Wednesday morning. It's 8.30 in the east, 5.30 in WA. Big hello to our friends there. 7.30 in Queensland. It's 8 o'clock now in South Australia, and it's just a tick over 10.30 in New Zealand. Talking about New Zealand, um, the New Zealand boy, Chris Waller, was disgusted um, in an interview that he conducted with the straight.com.au, which is Bren O'Brien's publication, of course, yesterday. And it reads, champion trainer Chris Waller has led an extraordinary rebuke of the plans to develop and sell off Rose Hill Racecourse, calling out the leadership of the Australian Turf Club Chairman Peter McGoran and Racing New South Wales CEO Peter Volandis at a members' forum meeting on Tuesday. While Australia's premier trainer of the past decade and Rose Hill's most significant tenant has remained largely silent on the Rose Hill issue since it was announced in December that the ATC and the state government would close, develop and sell off the iconic Western Sydney racecourse in a process to start in 2028. However, in an 18-minute presentation, at the ATC briefing meeting for members obtained by the straight, Waller clinically took apart the ATC's business case and planning for the deal, which has been estimated to be worth $4.8 billion. Bren O'Brien, it's an interesting situation. And I got in contact with Chris Waller this morning, and he says he just needs a little bit more time to discuss this situation publicly. He did that in a forum there at Rose Hill, which was run by the ATC. And there's three briefings, I think, on this on this situation about why the ATC and Racing New South Wales want to redevelop Rose Hill. Um, but it's fair to say he's not happy, the champion trainer. No, and I, mean, I, I guess the point is about Waller's language here. I mean, there was emotive language involved in it, but it was a very measured 18-minute presentation. It was a very measured... Uh, presentation to the members and to the board members that were there. I think there were five of the seven ATC board members there. Um, and Waller, you know, took apart the argument bit by bit. And it was quite, uh, yeah, it was actually quite compelling to listen to the way that Waller was able to sort of go to the different points that were raised. You know, he said probably his strongest criticism for the Horsley Park proposal, which is the idea that they're going to pick up uh, the the training, uh, I guess, numbers lost from Rose Hill and relocate in the far west of Sydney, uh, at Horsley Park, he said, um, it's ridiculous. It's He said, you're talking about the welfare of horses, then give yourself an uppercut because horses shouldn't be living in 40 degree temperatures. And that's about the perception that that's one of the hottest parts of, of Sydney out there. And that was pre- fairly strong, very strong language from, from Waller. Um, and yeah, and then he's asked, you know, because obviously Peter McGowan was there. Um, he asked Mr. McGowan if he was going to be there in five years time when, quote, this mess starts to unfold. 
He also called out Peter Volandi, which was interesting. He gave him plenty of praise. He's the best administrator in New South Wales I've ever had, all that sort of stuff. But yes. wonder where he was on this issue because um, PBL obviously wasn't at the meeting. And I think that there's probably a, a, a few questions around that as well. But I think the number one thing about this about Walla is he stepped into this issue in a big way. And he hasn't just stepped into it by saying, you know, this is my immediate reaction and I don't think this is, yeah. It's, it's very measured. It's very detailed. Um, and he's done a really good job of putting forward the case why Rose Hill should, should be maintained as a racing centre and a training centre. And uh, it's a, a significant debate. Uh, Gay Waterhouse also stepped up. She had a huge crack at the uh, the ATC board. Um, yeah, she described it as a disgrace. Uh, said they should be ashamed of themselves. Um, there's some, a lot going on in this debate. I mean, you have the two biggest trainers in Australia, or two biggest high-profile trainers in Australia, making uh, comments on a, in a forum like this so publicly. Uh, it certainly speaks to the tenor of the debate and the challenge the ATC have got of convincing um, the members and the powers that be that, um, yeah, yeah, this is a good idea moving okay. forward. Well, it's staggering, really. I don't think it'll happen, Mickey Gannon. I don't think we'll see this redevelopment. Oh, yeah, spot on, G. I think if you were setting odds on the redevelopment, you're probably looking at about 50 to 1, I'd imagine, G. Uh, I, I, not ideal for them when uh, when Chris Waller and articulates himself so well and then also on the way out tells you to give yourself an uppercut. Uh, he's astute. Then you've got Gay out there opposing it as well. And I could imagine there's a long line of trainers underneath them that have similar similar feelings. And here becomes an issue. And we, we talk about this in regards to you know point of consumption tax. In regards to speaking to the punters, you're making decisions without you know engaging trainers. We, this is an industry wide problem. We're not engaging stakeholders, all stakeholders, all the time on all decisions, and it becomes divisive. G. And what's more impressive about Chris Waller than how many horses is he is he trading at the moment? I don't know how many he'd have in his books. It'd be four hundred. Yeah, and yeah. to do what he to 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 like it's all it's all it's all um, well and good to go and present a, a presentation like that, but you need to have the facts to back it up, and you need to be prepared. It looks like, in reading your article, Brett O'Brien, that he's completely and utterly nailed it. I don't know who was helping him, but that just proves the class of the man, the professionalism of the man, and that's why he's the best at what he does because he he, he makes sure that he covers all bases. And if he if he if he believes in something and he's passionate about something, um, and he wants to win on something, then he'll make sure that he gets the job done. And that presentation proves it, Brandon. Then I'll go to you, Mickey. Yeah, I mean, he spoke, spoke with great authority on it and he's obviously done his research. And as we said, you know, he hasn't said a lot about this issue and he has been happy to sit there and say, look, I'm just, you know, digesting what's going on or whatever. If this is, you know, the, the level of thought that Chris Waller and those around Chris Waller have put into this is significant. Uh, and they're, they're pretty clear in their objections. And he made a really interesting point. The other interesting point he made was around about Parramatta being the heart of Sydney from a geographical point of view and from a cultural point of view. And that it was probably time for those old school, you know, eastern suburb types to realise the value of Rose Hill to the racing industry because if you're going to have a city of 10 million people in 10 years' time, you need race courses for people to go to and to and to relate to. And it was a really, yeah, really well-crafted uh, presentation. And, you know, I said there was emotive language involved, but it was very, very uh, calculated and very considered. And, you know, I mean, we'd expect that from Waller because he's one of, he actually is a, you know, Chris doesn't speak offhand about a lot of things, but when he does speak... You need to listen, and he's he's, and he's probably nailed this one. There's a couple of, like, if you're 
playing devil's advocate here. There's a couple of, if you take a step back, Chris Waller would be passionate. He doesn't want to leave Rose Hill because he's had so much success from this organization, but he also wants to like, he wants to, to make sure that he leaves a legacy. And I think he, and he's always had racing, um, racing is his number one priority, Chris, I think throughout his, his illustrious career. Um, and then the other aspect, then you're trying to think, why does the ATC want to sell this? So there has to be a reason why they, they're going down this path, Nicky Gannon. Um, yeah. Do we need and, the money? And, and, are they and once worried again, about the turnover and the gambling dollar here? Um, they are. Yeah. And this brings up another point, which, you know, Brent did an article on as well in regards to, um, you know, the purchasing of property, which we'll get to. But the, the biggest issue I have here is you've got one of the biggest stakeholders in the game who trains at that facility. If you wanted to get something like this to to work, you needed to consult Chris Waller well and truly before you came out. And they're just just missing the beat again. Mm. You, you, if you wanted to get this over the line, who would you speak to first, Brent? Yeah, no, absolutely. Chris Waller had to be. He's the, the biggest name at Rose Hill by that vast amount of money. And uh, if Chris gives it a tick of approval, how how much of an easier sell is it now? But Yeah, yeah he, he's got the right. He, yeah. Uh, if he doesn't give it a tick of approval, they'll still probably, if they really want to do it, they'll go ahead with it, won't they? Well, I don't think it's how it works, G. You, you need your stakeholders and participants. What are they going to uplift everything out west yeah. further and further? Look, let's just let me propose this one to you. How many how, how many times have you been to Menangle Trots compared to Harold Park Trots? Yeah, you're getting down Richie Callender's article that I read there the other day. I think someone yep. showed me that no one really cares about the trots anymore. And it's obviously a sport that's got its challenges at the moment. And I agree okay, with well, that. Okay, well, let me yeah, – Wentworth Park versus Dapto. Yeah, 100%. But I agree with all of that. Like, harness racing lost its soul a little bit when they moved from Harold Park and when they moved from Mooney Valley to Melton and, and to Manangle. Um, but they've still got Ramwick. Sydney. You can't race there every week. The track barely holds up every second week. I know. You, you can't race there every week, but you can race like it's still going to – if you lose Ramwick, you're in trouble, I think, in Sydney. Eh? Like, And that's crown land, so you've got that for 100-odd years, but that can – who knows with the government these days and the woke world that we're living in, Bren. I think the challenge is if you move racing to the margins geographically of the cities, it becomes to the margins of the mindset. Of, right. of, of the greater populace. And that's the challenge that racing's got. And you don't get Rose Hill back. You can't go, oh, hang on. No, we're going to buy that back because mm. once it's done, it's done. Um, you know, the ATC are, are making this move because they believe it, it future-proofs them and future-proofs racing uh, for them going forward. And and that's, you know, their prerogative. But Waller made a really good point. He's like, this is not about the next 20 years. It's about the next 200 years. And if racing's got to be around for a very yeah. long time, you need that footprint. It's a challenge that we're facing across the board in, in Australia and across the, across the world at the moment. We've seen the closure of Singapore. We talk about Macau. We talk about what's going on at Sandown, the debate around that. I mean, this is all part of a wider debate about what race courses need to be and where they need to sit. And yeah. I think, yeah, Waller's hit the nail on the head here that, you know, hey, it's nice to have that money in the bank, but it goes. And he also pointed out there used to be 13 race courses in Sydney. The, the, what, there's four now, and, and what's left of the nine that they sold? Nothing. That money disappears yep. so quickly. Someone and gets a lot, someone builds a grandstand, someone makes a development, someone puts a bit of money on prize money, someone does this, that money goes. And that longer term uh, legacy is not there. And you lose that. Once you lose that foothold, you lose it forever. And so that's probably my personal sort of thoughts around Rose Hill. And just with the, the other story that you wrote this week regarding the, the property that Racing New South Wales own, I was surprised with how much property they actually own, but I think it's a great idea. I think it's smart strategy by Peter Volandi and his team because... Um, 
that you need to have those options going forward because there's going to be different ways that you'll have to have income stream and revenue coming back towards the industry. And if you can maximize the money that you're making in the glory days and then plan for the future, if times get tough, then I think it's genius administration, administrating, um, Brett. Yeah, I, I think, I think yes. And so the story, yeah, does, does it was, I think $125 million of, of property of New South Wales acquired in a five to six year period, which is a lot and, and not too, too dissimilar with the strategy that, uh, Valandis, Peter Valandis has, has outlined for what the NRL want to do as well in terms of securing major, you know, major tranches of property. It, from that perspective, it is good. The challenge is, um, I guess, longer term, you know, the, the value of that land or the value of what they bought continues to go up. That, that they're making good use of those places um, and, and developing those places and where things sit. And, and I think it's, I, I guess the point of our article was more to shine a light to say, hey, this is what's happened. We're not saying necessarily it's a good thing or it's a bad thing or whatever it is, but it's important that people know this is where a significant amount of, of industry money has gone in the last bit. And so therefore there is a bank there. Of course there's a bank there. And we have to go back to that bank to, um, to fund future things within racing. That's fine. But it's, it is a lot of money. And it is a lot of property. Um, and it's, I think it's important that people know that. We'll take a quick break. It's 8.42. This is the Wednesday debate on uh, this Wednesday morning. Gareth Hall, Brett O'Brien and Mickey Gannon with you. Uh, that horse has trotted up 100% sound. There's nothing wrong with it. I don't know what yeah. was wrong. I'll tell you what was wrong with it. It was a shit house ride. That's what it was. So Mark obviously rode bodyguard like a champion and he rode the other one like a goat. It was just horrendous. I don't know what he so, was doing. To the airport, I think, for the Super Bowl. That was Johnny O'Neill with his comments with Mark Sarr and his ride on his Philly Bulb still. And Mark Sarr has come back and he's come back hard too on his social media platforms saying Johnny's got no idea. He needs to go to Specsavers and have a look at the ride. Um, so I think it's, I think it's theatre. I don't think Mark, Mark would have been a little annoyed from Johnny's comments, I would imagine, but they're good mates. He's taken it. Um, he'll, they'll, he'll, Mark will ride for John again. John will put Mark on again. Mark praises Mark Sarah more than he criticizes Mark Sarah. Um, and people go like, Gareth, like, um, Johnny, Johnny O'Neill's not a form expert. What would he know? Like Johnny O'Neill, um, is a punter. He owns a lot of horses and that's the whole idea of the means test. When you get a trainer like Wayne Hawks and you get a leading owner like Johnny O'Neill. We've got the Monday breakdown where we have Mickey Gannon, Dean Watling and Mitchie Lewis from a form point of view, but the lads had a different type of perspective um, to the racing game. And um, when you put in the money that Johnny O'Neill does, I guess you can say whatever you want to say about the, the jockey that rides your horse. Yeah, you can. But you've also got to be careful because you can't burn too many bridges. Gee, otherwise no one will ride for you. But yeah, a bit of theatre, I'd imagine, around Mark Zara's comments. Theater, I, yeah. I, I think I think if Mark really cared, he wouldn't have actually said anything. He would have kept it behind closed doors yeah. and said, don't worry about it, Johnny, I'm not riding for you anymore. But in regards to the ride, like, Johnny, just come chat to me, mate. Like, there's nothing wrong with it. Absolutely nothing wrong with it. You look at the sectionals, you break them down. It's gone just, just over two lengths quicker than what the horse did at Mooney Valley. The ride was fine. Two, second, the horse that, two lengths quicker. I, I think that Johnny reckons they went too quick up front. And Blake Shin kicked up underneath Mark Sarah that made him work a little harder. And I don't think Mark Sarah was expecting that. Yeah, look, let me give you the red hot tip, mate. To be to be or not to be, SP nineteen dollars and finish one point two five lengths and say outside the leader. I I don't like I'm just gonna be honest, there's nothing wrong with the ride. I just don't think the horse is up to it. And 
then the other query is, I think Johnny might have been a bit more upset about the fact that um, they said it was lame and then it trotted up fine. So a bit of emotion there. He's entitled to his opinion. That's fine. But th there's data there to back it all up, G. Yeah. Wonder where Johnny gets his data from. I have no idea. Mm. Brent? They're not cars. You can't just go, I'm going to go this fast and go that fast. You're talking two lengths. You're talking about small amounts of judgment, whatever else. Sometimes jockeys are going to ride them absolutely 100%. Sometimes they're going to ride a 98%. Uh, someone like Zara, you get your 100% more often than not. Um, yeah, I, the, only, the only issue I have with this, I'm, and I'm calling it banter, fun and games. I'm sure, you know, Mark will jump on the horse. I think the only problem I have with jockey bagging as a rule is obviously these are the guys that take all the risks. They sit on the horses going a million miles an hour and take the risks and what they do day to day. Um, and I think sometimes it, it it facilitates those who have less control over their emotions to start getting stuck into jockeys and start getting, um, you know, start actually having a crack at people. And I think that ends up in a bit of an ugly path. I don't think this particular is ugly. I think it's banter. I think whatever else, that's fine. But I think the danger of this type of comment is that you know, it's not, you know, we've come a long day, long time for the days of people yelling at jockeys over the fence. It now becomes a, a, yeah. a lifelong pursuit for some people in terms of jockey bagging. And I think it's, it gets in a slightly dangerous area. John's got every right to have his opinion. It's his horse. I've got no problem with that. But I think longer, yeah, the broader term around jockey bagging and saying, oh, you did this and do that. Well, hop on one yourself, mate. See how you go. Yeah. Um, because you know, from my perspective, these are the guys that take all the risk every day. And as I said, they're they not cars. But they... gee, if you had gone 10 lengths quicker to the 600, then maybe no Johnny got it wrong. Maybe. maybe Johnny got it wrong. Who knows? Well, um, you know, Johnny's got a record of getting it wrong. He he told me I had no idea what I was talking about about his horse. Now you're making, wire, and now, I'm, I'm, I'm still wait, I'm still waiting on my bottle of wine, Johnny. If you're listening, now, now you're making it personal, Mickey G. You might come. Oh off, no, yeah, not at all. Sounds like you are. No, no, no. Just no. bringing up the past. <laughs> well, I think everyone deserves an opinion. It's all a little bit of banter and fun. Sometimes we take this Good game fun, too G. serious. Um, I don't reckon Johnny would have gone as hard as at, a, at another jockey if he knew that Mark wouldn't have a bit of fun with it as well. Um, Mark will come back and say, Johnny, you're a clown, which he did there on social media. And then people can have their opinions. That's what the great game's about, people having strong opinions. And we see it all the other, like we see it all the time in other sports, don't we? Um, that people can be critical and they can praise. And at the end of the day, Johnny O'Neill has praised Mark Sara on several occasions in fact, he's in love with – it's James McDonald and Mark Sarah when it comes to um, love affairs, when it comes to jockeys with Johnny O'Neill. So, yeah, so it is what it is. Um, um, bit of fun, bit of banter. And you and you got to live by your opinions. Johnny got it wrong a few times during the spring. Um, oh, and we're right. all going to get it wrong, James. Yeah, like, he's got it right it a few is. times as well. So, but yeah. what I will say is, I do agree, Brent. You've got to be, you've got to be careful when you, when you are when you do have a you know a position of power in the industry and you you are out there. You just got to be careful because you don't want to be encouraging um, abuse of jockeys and things like that. No. Because there are jockeys out there that are on Twitter that actually are getting death threats. It's just just ludicrous, yes. absolutely ludicrous. So that's we, we that's I think not, that's I, I think weird. if Johnny and Mark can come out and say complete a whole lot of banter, if that's what it was, I think it paints it in a better picture because you don't want to encourage mm. trolls carrying on like peanuts. hundred and ten percent. But you like that's a that's a completely different death threats to what we're going on about on 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 Monday. But yeah, you, people need to be called out if they're doing that. They need to go to jail if they're um, um, saying stuff like that to jockeys. Anyway, we're going to take a quick break. We'll come back with plenty more straight after this. Good morning. Great to be with you this Wednesday morning. It's the Wednesday debate. Gareth Hall with you, Bren O'Brien, and Mickey Gannon. Um, news that broke this morning that James McDonald looks like he's set to replace, well, he has replaced Adam Hieronymus 
for the moment anyway on Storm Boy. Adam Hieronymus won't be riding Storm Boy heading towards the Golden Slipper path now. So it'll either be Ryan Moore or James McDonald on Storm Boy. And the other will ride Switzerland. McDonald to ride Storm Boy tomorrow at the trials in Switzerland in the Piero Plate on Saturday. Um, we'll get through those text messages. And I've got a little bit more time to go through these text messages now. 499 736 to join our conversation. Um, who would you think is a better sprinter, Imperatrice or Think About It, Mickey Gannon? That's a good question. I think... I'm fascinated to see how Imperatory comes back on, on Saturday because from the trial and even that track gallop at Mooney Valley, I don't think, I don't know. I've, I've got my query. I want to see her do it on Saturday. Yeah, I've got my queries. I'm with you, G. She needs to turn up um, and get the job done. It'll be cool. Could all have egg on our faces and she just comes back bigger, better, stronger. Uh and therefore, there's no doubt that she's the best sprinter. I think what we saw last preparation, yes, she didn't go to Sydney to win the Everest or to compete in the Everest, but I, this, the data backs up her performances and I have her clearly on top, G. But a lot could change on Saturday, Bren. Yeah, I think we're, we're so lucky to have like you know so many great sprint races where horses can race in different states and we can have this debate because if they had to run against each other last spring, we wouldn't be having these discussions with Imperatrice went to the end. Everest wins by six lengths or gets beaten by six lengths. We know where things stand. So I think that's the beauty of it. Like I think it's great to have these discussions. Like for me, Imperatrice is probably the one, probably number one seed. Mm. But like I said, isn't it great to have this discussion? Isn't it great to think about if they do meet in the track, who will end up on top? So yeah, I think it's yeah, it, it's it's all good fodder. Yeah, news coming through as well that Adam Hieronymus is booked to ride the filly for Gay Waterhouse and Adrian Bott in the um, Blue Diamond Lady of Camelot. So whether she pushes oh, like on that. towards the, the Blue Diamond, I mean, the Golden Slipper after that, time will tell, but that's a good ride if you can pick pick up a ride on like Well, this is, like, this is like what her. Gay does for her riders, G. So if one if one can't get on for whatever reason, she looks after them with a, with a horse that's going very, very well. It's a very good chance and full credit to Gay for that. Yeah. Um, and it looks like, I think the bet that you can have at the moment in the Blue Diamond, I can't believe the price we're getting for her, Mickey Gannon. I don't know if you agree with me or not, but I went back and had a look at a few of the replays there the other day. Um, and this particular... Philly is at a big price. I'm just having a look what price we're getting now for the Blue Diamond, which is just over a week's time. Here we go. The Blue Diamond Stakes. Coleman at $5. Lady of Camelot, $5. Bodyguard, $5.50. High Octane, 7 Stay Focus, 9 Anisa at $10. I, I, I love Anisa. I think they'll really? be... Yeah, there'll be so much pace on here. Um, I and thought that, her run under yeah. the circumstances was excellent behind Coleman. She had no right to do what she did with the track conditions that day. Um, grand final trainer, I thought that Damien Lane gave her the best possible ride heading towards the Blue Diamond because he's a jet. He can understand what the big grand final is. Yeah, I think she's a great bet at $10. Okay. It was a horse I was happy to take a set against uh, in, in that run prior based off what she did previously. Like the, the form lines weren't enormous. But you're right, race shape's going to be there. I do – what I'll – want to tell punters to do out there is go do your research on a core field where the rail is going to be and how the track's going to play on that day because we've seen some significant variance in how the tracks have been playing of late. You're going to, I think, make a good earn if you can go work out how that track plays on Blue Diamond Day. Yeah, uh, I think my gut feeling, G, is you want to be up and in. Mm. Core field is a rule though, isn't it? 
Caulfield's always been that. Like to be fair, like you, but then on Saturday about, it was completely opposite. Yeah, opposite yeah, but I, mean, I think they've been like it scratched my head a few times. Caulfield of recent times, how it's played, even like it was a like I think um, the Doria um, Walsh's horse in that first race, like it played like a real soft track at the start of the meeting, which surprised me. And it's because of the irrigation that goes on in these 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 hot days, which makes it difficult to work out, Brent. Sometimes. It does, but I mean, you know, I mean, another thing too is Corfield has been completely redone, so there is an aspect of it being Good a point. slightly new track. But Corfield has always been an up and in in track yeah. as a rule on those big days, on the yeah. grand final days. It's always been a track which has worked. Yeah, you know, it's not a crack, it's not a crack at the track. It's just the nature of it. Yeah, and yeah, most of tracks course. most tracks are up and in because that's the way we work. It, it favors horses that that are on the pace and horses horses that cover the least amount of ground. So as a rule, that's probably the yeah that's the way it works. And so if, and you for know, me with Caulfield, it's always up and in. I I'll be up and in until things are proven otherwise. Now, Brent, and G, yeah. all you've got to do is listen to the weekend preview because on on Thursday we we spoke about Ram. We can how Ram because going to play in, and so many participants were blowing up saying I can't believe the rails are off. Just just got to tune in. I know 100%, but if you've got a horse that's drawn the inside and you spend all this money buying this horse at a sale, um, I know Brent's got to go, and then this happens. It can be frustrating. Good on you, Brent. Thanks for that, mate. Thanks, guys. There's Brent O'Brien from thestraight.com.au. You can get all of his work going to that website. And saying that, Mickey, track bias can be a little bit frustrating for participants. because It's not about the punt. It's it's like you you imagine if you had a horse and you spent all this money and you've at the English sales – and you think you're a massive chance and it's worth $2 million and you got your mates together and you got this syndicate and you draw barrier one, you got no chance because of the way that the track's playing. And yeah. I know that sometimes the, tr the track creators get like, it's not an easy job. And especially when it's hot and the weather's been like it has and with the predictions as well. Um, but that's the great game. It can be frustrating. So on, so, I think, yeah, I think the only, um, you know, piece on it that, that I can add to to avoid the frustration is, and I, and I want to hear like, you know, more for and against them. Is the rail just stay in the true position always? Well, that, then, I've, I've asked about that, but then, yeah. that, then that just gets cut up on the inside and it's too hard for the track curators to manage the track if they just keep it in the true. Well, then we're always going to have variants and we've Correct. just got to cop it on the chin. Yeah. And yeah. And it's a difficult, it's a difficult job being a track curator. Um, oh, and it's not, no easy. knock on them whatsoever. No. G. But and I, a lot of it's historical data. A lot of the way these tracks play, they, they week in, week out, when the rails and the true at Ramek could have played that way, and and history will just repeat itself. G, it's nothing race, unusual. Yeah, but racing needs to get it like it's it needs to get better in a way because you have got that much money involved. It's a multi multi million dollar business, and there's certain aspects that I just shake my head in disbelief that racing does. Like the perfect example is the Magic Millions bizarre, uh, blow up there with. Um, Johnny O'Shea's three-year-old in the barriers. Mm. There wasn't enough barrier tenants. James McDonald having a crack there. So like, like, and not, not at the barrier tenants, but on, on why there isn't enough barrier tenants there on such a big day like that, when there's yeah, millions and they're, millions they're, of dollars. They're variables, that, they're yeah. variables that just shouldn't exist. No. Like, uh, <laughs> that, that's not a variable. That's just poor planning. So correct. that they've got to get that sorted yeah. for sure, G. But in regards to track, it is impossible. It's hard. And, they're doing their best, mm -hmm. and I think you just gotta you just gotta cop it on the chin, and that's why you get the good jockeys on as well, G. Just quickly, South Australian apprentice jockey Chelsea Reynolds is fighting for her life. This is such a sad story after mm -hmm. a fall at track track work on Tuesday morning. The 28 year old was working on an uphill sand gallop at a private training property, 
in South Australia on the Fleuro Peninsula, about 70k south of Adelaide when the incident occurred. It's understood Reynolds was airlifted to Flinders Medical Centre with traumatic injuries after paramedics were first called just after 9am, with SA Health confirming on Tuesday evening that she was in a critical condition. Racing SA said it was providing support to Reynolds' family and will provide a further update as soon as um, we are able. So our thoughts with the Reynolds family and everybody involved there at that stable where the incident happened, um, it is heartbreaking. And um, when they're working with livestock like they do, this happens in racing, sadly, but, um, yeah, we're, we're wishing Chelsea all the best in the Reynolds family in such a difficult time, Mickey G. 100%, G. 100%. All right, then we'll catch up with you. Are you coming on the um, – do you want to give your tips now or are you coming back now for the the um, bag of tips? Let's come back for the bag of tips, right, G. But uh, very keen one at Ballarat. I'll throw that out there now before Mitchie Lewis takes it. Uh, race five, number six, Pondalowie. Yeah, were you the one that texted in about Pondalowie? Yeah, I just text myself, yeah. 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 Good on you, mate. Thanks for that. <laughs> Thanks, mate. The Giddy Up Bag of Tips for Oz Equipment Rentals. Supplying equipment to the construction, mining and roadworks industries. OzEquipment.com Time to find your winner on this Wednesday on Bag of Tips across the three codes, of course. Thanks to Oz Equipment Rentals. Look them up at OzEquipment.com and the mighty Ultima Hotel in the heart of the Mallee in country Victoria. And today's wagering update brought to you by Bet365, the world's favourite online betting brand. What's gambling really costing you? For free and confidential support, visit gamblinghelponline.org.au. Superstar trainer Graham Big joins us here on the Giddy Up this morning. Good morning to you, Graham. Yeah, good morning, Gareth. Um, first of all, mate, what's one horse? Now, you've got superstars left, right and centre in your backyard, including like a horse like Passive Aggressive who's coming out of retirement. If you had one horse that you're really excited to see back this preparation, which one would it be? Probably Magic Time. Yep. Um, we know she's full of class. What what race have you got in mind for her? Uh, she's going to run in the new market first up. So, All right. Then. Um, she's had a trial and she'll have another jump out up the straight uh, prior to that, and uh, she'll be ready to go. All right, then didn't, do you go down that path to Sydney with her or do you look at the sprint races in Adelaide? No, she'll go to Sydney. Um, yep. She's quite adept on ground. has got a bit of give in it. So, you know, the chances that uh, we might get that in Sydney are very good. And, uh, yeah, so that'll be the a way to handle that preparation. And possibly, you know, she may go on to Brisbane too after that. You know, she won't have a lot of runs, uh, but we'll just select the races as we go. And how is passive-aggressive? In great order. Mm. She uh, jumped out uh, last Monday week, or had a barrier trial, I should say. Uh, you know, trialled beautifully, and rounded it off and came through it really, really well. So she will head to Sydney. She'll have another jump out here, uh, and then she'll head to Sydney to run in the Challenge Stakes on the 9th of March. All right then, mate. Um, we wish you the best of luck with her. She's exciting as well. What about Senzino that's been heavily supported? Um, the son of Trapeze Artists. First up this campaign, um, your thoughts about his chances today in the third race over the 1,200 metres? Yeah, just drawing a little bit sticky. Uh, the outside draw, uh, I think uh, Ballarat should suit him. He came out of a very good form race at his first start in a race uh, and ran credibly. And then his next start, he... Uh, got a little bit lost at Sandown and uh, didn't really come down the hill and he was probably disappointing and we turned him out again but he seems to have prepped up well for this race. Um, I'm surprised at the short price that he is um, yep. 
um, you know, going into the race with sort of, you know, two one-place runs behind him. Um, so, yeah, but he's you know, certainly capable of winning today. And then we've got um, Der Bergerac going around to, geez, it was impressive. He was impressive at Seymour on debut, this cop by Sue Starr. And then you put him out. Um, have you been happy with his jump outs of recent times before this first up effort? Yeah, he's had two uh, jump outs to fit him up for today's race. Uh, yeah, he's, he looks a nice horse. Obviously, you know, we're just taking him very carefully, just trying to put him through his grades. It's not an easy race today. The favourite looks like it certainly will be the testing material. But uh, like we feel he's a nice horse, but he's got to keep ticking the boxes. And, you know, I feel that he's going the right direction. And do you send around Seema Jeek at um, in the Triscay Stakes on Saturday? And does she um, head up to Sydney? Yeah, she went to Sydney uh, end of last week. Uh, she's arrived up there, had a gallop at Randwick on the course proper yesterday. She settled in really well. feel that she gets in very well at the, uh, the, the, uh, the, the structure of the race as far as the weights are concerned. She's in on the limit weight. So, you know, I'm sure that uh, they'll certainly know she's in the race. All right. Thanks for your time. What's your best today, Graeme? Should we have a punt? The burn track. All right, then. Thanks for that, mate. Good luck, uh, especially going towards the carnivals as well. Cheers. He's a star. There's Graham. Big Mitchie Lewis joins us. He's done the form for us at Ballarat. And Gore today. Hello to you, Mitchie. Good morning, Gareth. Take it away with your specials, mate. Okay, so I've got three at Ballarat, all in the last three legs. So I heard Mickey Gannon's tip before. For anyone interested, you could do a one-out quaddy here. But anyway. He didn't tip. steal your thunder, did he? How dare him, really? That's a bit like you say, stay in your oh, lane, Mickey G. No, he's completely added to it. That's a, it's a team game here in the morning, Gareth. So yeah, what, that's, that's what I'm saying. He's, he's going race five. Yeah, and I'm six, seven, eight. So we could go a one-out quaddy with me and Gano Tips. It's a good little addition from him. So race six for me, number five, Rhapsody Chick. I keep coming back to this horse. So I, I sort of had a look at its map, and I think it's going to get a very nice run with Damien Lane in the saddle. I think it tracks Rising Sun of Henry Dwyer's and... Girl, I thought, was the main danger, but I'm a little bit concerned with its race match. So Rhapsody Chick, he's a lightly raced four-year-old. I think there is... Um, he had genuine excuses in his first prep, and his recent trials, to me, suggest he's probably a type that can progress through his grades through this BM64. So I've added him to the picks today. All right, then. What else have you got for us, mate? Race seven, number six, Ellen Mack. So... This is as easy a race as she's seen for some time. A BM58 today. She was competing in Sydney in BM78s and races up on that level. Now, uh, her form on a good track's the query, but those were in the stronger level races. I just think she finds her opportunity here today. I think winkers go on. I think it sets up for her to be able to win here, uh, Ellen Mack, in race seven. Have you got anything else for us, mate? Race eight, number six, shove overs my each way, play of the day. Yes. This horse drops in grade as well. Uh, form around Jungle Gym and Periel, I think that's going to stack up nicely at this level. Uh, Jayla Kennedy takes three kilos off, so we're down at a nice weight. And from barrier four, if it's favouring on-speed runners, Shove-Over is going to be in a very nice position and is currently sitting around an each-way price. All right then, mate. What else have you got for us at Gawler? At Gawler, if we go to race five, there's a horse here, number one, Meg's Magic for the Stokes team. Uh, one, two in a row at the start of the prep, including one over this truck and trip, and then... Uh, was okay last start. This is much easier. I think it sets up nicely for her. Uh, I think it's the only real main danger is uh, number four, Baby Alex, who's lightly raced. So at their current price, you could consider backing both of them and just turning over a small profit. But 
I think Meg's Magic should get the job done with Todd Panel in the saddle. Yep. Anything else? Uh, race six, number two, free beer for Justin Pickering. I'm reasonably keen on this horse's... I think he's got good upside. So we saw him run a very nice race above class average on debut to win a maiden on a heavy track. Um, he's been trialling very nicely as well. I think he's on his... Um, what's the word I'm looking for here? On his potential, he sh- he's going to be able to work through his grades quite nicely. I think barrier one and with the weight is going to put him in a nice position. So I think he's one to follow out of the race. But I think at his best, he should be winning this one today and progress from here. All right. There's an interesting question coming through from one of our listeners. Hi, G. Heard the conversation about track bias and it makes me wonder, and I agree with this listener, why after not being at Ballarat for quite some time, the rail's at nine metres for a metro meeting. I think it'll play on pace and it can do that from time to time, Ballarat. Yeah, that's Especially on a hot it. day when there's been some hot weather. That's exactly what I was going to say. I always favour it a little bit when it's hot. It just sort of makes those lanes a little bit slicker, doesn't it, Gareth? So I, I, I don't know 100%. My assumption was the rail was out because they've got some meetings coming up. Um, and given the track so big and why they didn't think it would affect it too much. But that's just me speculating. Yeah, we, we, that, there was a problem at Mooney Valley when they had their rail out, I think, four or five metres. I can't recall how far it was yes, out, but when yes. we returned after the, the layoff there during the winter months and you could not make up ground. So time will tell, but it'll be interesting to see how it plays. Good on you, mate. Thanks for that. Thank you, mate. Have a good day. Good luck to the listeners. All right, then. Great to catch up there with uh, Mitchy Lewis. Time to head to Sydney now to catch up with um, one of the great trainers in Johnny Sargent, who'll play a part there at Rose Hill, um, or the Kenzo, Kenzo track, I should say, at Randwick today. He's got some um, he's got some strong chances there. In fact, he's only got Trees, Trese, going around that third race now after Byron Bell was scratched after in that same race. G'day, John. Thanks for your time. Thanks very much. Um, can you lead all of the way with this galloper today? I probably wanted to to be bigger so I didn't have to lead actually because okay. I think she is a bit of chaser but it looks no speed so she'll probably go across and take it up and work it from there. Yeah, it does look a, a lovely race for her however, however Molly Burke, I think she's now in your care as well as an apprentice. Um, she looks like she, she's got a bit of a future in the game. Yeah, she's very dedicated uh, dedicated girl. She's very fit and hungry and um, you know, all she does wants to do is ride horses, get here early in the morning and work all day. So I think she's got a big future and uh, a very strong rider and a finish for, a, you know, still three kilos. Yeah, so fourth up this preparation, tries or trees. Um, looks tough to beat in your eyes, mate. You're happy with her going into today's contest? She seems, yeah. I'm, I'm yeah. backing her up sort of 10 days since the last run. And then from here, looking at going to Kembla Grange for a midway provincial qualifying race for the million dollar. Um, provincial final, so um, yeah, that's a nice lead up for that. She's won on the Kensington track, which is a bonus here, and she just walks over the road. So, no, she's in tip top order to go there today and hopefully win. And looking forward to seeing Miss for um, for Burge. Does she head to Melbourne on Saturday after two impressive come from behind victories there uh, at Ramwick and also on the Kenzo track in her last couple? She's going to actually. Stay up here. I had a okay. nominated for, for Melbourne or here. She'll run a Rose Hill in the uh, Group 2 1,200-metre yep. race here. So I've freshened her. I think she's at long odds, but she's up to that company. And, uh, you know, she's been unlucky uh, early on in her career. And I think she's just finding a form.
Good on you, mate. Thanks for that, Johnny. Good luck today. Cheers, mate. Anytime. There's Johnny Sargent there. Let's catch up with Mickey Gannon once again. He's done the form for the Kenzo track at Randwick today. Hello to you, Mickey. Yes, G. Uh, I'm the Kenzo today, and it's a pretty tricky meeting. Rail's out five metres, good four. Uh, scattered showers around yesterday, but I'm not sure many of them hitting. It's a very fast on-speed Kensington today. So I'm going to go to race two, number six, uh, Chateau Miraval. Uh, recent trial was pretty good, and, well, that was beating a horse by the name of Celerity. So he's going yeah. to take on trust that, uh, that this horse uh, goes pretty well. Celerity clearly has a lot of talent. And uh, you know what? Gay Waterhouse, Adrian Bott, two-year-old, Tinia Clark, wow, what a combination. You're not going to get a great price, $2, but I think that's the right price for this horse on debut, G. And then another horse I was interested in was uh, Johnny Sargent's horse there, the Trey Z will roll forward, just going with that uh, that theme of on-speed horses today, G. Roll forward and looks to get an unopposed lead. Molly Bullock claims three kilos, gets the horse in uh, very, very well at the weights now, G. We're carrying uh, 56 kilos, and that gallop will be very hard to run down. So race three, number four, Trey Z. Yeah, it looks like Tracy, good push there from Johnny Sargent. So he didn't want to lead, but it looks like he'll have to lead with her with that smallish field. I tell you, there's a runner that I can't wait to see today. I think it might be scratched, unfortunately. Yes, Cam Bourne is out. Um, oh. I was looking forward to seeing what it, what it could do there what today. Do we, what are the whispers on that one? No, so, I'm just fascinated. I knew it had potential there when it was with Price and Kent Jr., but now um, – it's headed to the stables of Wayne Brown there at Tamworth. So I always find those horses interesting. Would have been an online purchase, I would imagine. Godfather's yep. at a big price. Jeez, he was impressive on debut, Godfather, all that time. Once upon a time, he's had a long time off. He goes around first up at $9 with bet three six five in that um Six race, I think big it weight. is. Yeah, yeah, big weight, 391 days off. Yeah. Obviously, the big query. But, yeah, for sure. I know Dino was pretty keen on the horse uh, overall in regards to how it trialed. Uh, I'm not sure if he'll be tipping it at all. But, uh, uh, yeah, it's, it's an interesting one. And I think the, in the first race, too, there's also another interesting horse here. You've got Bjorn Baker, who's just low flying, like just going that good. And, and he's teaming up with Joshy Parr on a horse called uh, Suasive. I thought probably a horse that I might start sort of, you know, looking to looking towards as well as I'm just doing that speed map there in that race um, five minutes ago, G. If you were looking for an early play, Swayze could be another one as well. Yeah. Um, he's on fire, isn't he, B. Baker? He can't do anything wrong That's at incredible. the moment. It's uh, incredible. And he's just peaking at the right time and, he's, and he seems to be doing it every carnival now. Yeah, he's probably the, the – it'd be the most informed Metro trainer in Sydney at the moment. I know that Waller yeah. and – and Wallace hasn't really stepped out his big guns just yet. He's got a lot of numbers, but um, Joe Pride, he's got a boutique stable, Snowden. So I think it's Baker clearly at the moment, isn't he? Cummings has sort yeah, of been a little quiet. Of, with the exception of Gay and Adrian's two-year-olds, for sure. Correct. It's, yeah. the Beyond, it's the Beyond show. 100%. Good on you, Mickey. Go and get them today, mate. Thanks, mate. Chat to you tomorrow. It's no surprise that wherever the blue and gold go, success follows at First Light Racing, firstlightracing.com. You head to their website. They've got some terrific horses that they've purchased at the recent sales in New Zealand, the English Classic Sales in Sydney, and, of course, at the Millions Sale there on the Gold Coast. We'll take a break. We'll come back. In fact, we'll take the news. We'll come back with Chris Nelson straight after this. Giddy up with Gareth Hall.
Thor, thanks to Bet365, the world's favourite online betting brand. What's gambling really costing you? For free and confidential support, visit gamblinghelponline.org.au on Giddy Up this Wednesday morning. Racing action continues every day across the Sunshine State. Today we're at Doombin. Chris Nelson, good morning to you. Good morning, Gareth. We are at Doombin. Uh, we've got reasonably fine conditions today. We're on a soft five and we probably get an upgrade, I would say, at some stage during the day, hopefully nice and early. Take it away with your specials, mate, there at Doombin this afternoon. Well, you know, I like to, uh, these midweek meetings, I like to actually um, tip people into these horses. I think you've got a bit of promise that haven't raced very often, not the uh, races where there's a lot of exposed form and they can mix it up a bit. So, Although they're um, they're shortish, I think these will both win races two and three. Race two, number six, Bucks Fizz, uh, comes out of a maiden. They both come out of the same maiden in these first two tips. Uh, one here by Magic Island recently. Bucks Fizz drew well, jumped well, but unfortunately, sorry, drew wide, jumped well, had to go back, unfortunately, and then uh, was taken on a wide path from the 600-metre mark right to the line, and I love the way she kept on finding. Now, she's drawn better today. She did go forward in her trials previously, so I'd suggest she'll be a lot closer in the run today, Bucks Fizz. So we'll go with her, race two, number six. Uh, race three, number nine, the other one, Grand Meteor. Now, Grand Meteor came out of the same race, ran second. Bucks Fizz ran third. I love the way she kept chasing that uh, winner right to the line. She did not give her... Uh, well, she gave her no peace. She just kept on coming. And I think with that run under the belt, she's in the right stable here, Tony Gollan. Uh, Ryan Maloney will ride from a reasonable gate. I think he'll find the right spot, and I think she'll get the job done. Race three, number nine, Grand Meteor. And we'll go with Golan again in the last. Race eight, number 10, Fumiko. Now, she's a bit hard to catch. She is a backmarker. She's busting to get to 1,200 metres, which she gets to today. Her last run here was 1,050 behind Ring of Steel. Now, leader dominated in the small horse field, a five-horse field. She only really got going late, that last 100, and she did take good ground off Ring of Steel. So the 150 in her favour... I think she'll be hard to hold out in race eight. Number 10, Fumiko. What's your very best? I think Bucks Fizz. I think it's the one uh, in race two that'll just settle nice and handy. As I said, the trials were really good prior and there was a lot of, there was a lot of, um, I think that first start run or that debut run was pretty tough. Uh, I had to do a lot of work from the 600 metre mark, came three and four wide. And you'd expect a little bit of a fold up in the straight, but it wasn't the case. She stuck it out really well. Good on you, mate. Thanks for that, Chris. Oh, good luck today. Looking forward to hearing you this afternoon on Trackside yes. with the boys. I think Brownie's working with tags today, if I can. If that, oh, wow. Yeah, look out. That's trouble. Yeah. They tell me to see Brown was best on ground in Tasmania over the weekend. Isn't he best on ground everywhere he goes? No, I think he was, yeah. Well, I think he would have got definitely the three Brownlow votes, they tell me. <laughs> um, good on you, Chris. Oh. Thanks, Gareth. Have a good day. Check out au for where Queensland is racing today. Riley Morgan, the inform Riley Morgan, to join us next with some of his um, selections there at Belmont on this Wednesday. Welcome back to Giddy Up this Wednesday. This man's on fire at the moment. He can't do anything wrong. Riley Morgan, um, seeing him beautifully, and he's done the form for us at Belmont on a Wednesday. G'day, Riley. G'day, Gareth. How are you? Good, thank you. What do you like today? Yeah, it's a, it's a thin old program today at Belmont Park, Gareth. Only the six races this, this midweek, which is, uh, which is very rare over here in the West, and I thought it was very slim picking for, for bets on the program. But I think we can still play around with, with a couple 
Uh, a couple of horses that do look well-placed today. The first of those comes up in race number two here. Now, there's been some early support for this horse on debut for Justine Irkland's race two, number nine, Uni Strike. In, in what is a, a race where I've got a lot of convictions around a few of the other horses towards the pointy end of the market. The trials of this horse have impressed me and the early price was some value and I still think there's a bit of value there at around that double figures in race number two. It was given a very soft time of it in a fast trial behind subsequent winner Diablo Lad before at his, his most recent hit out over the 1,200 metres at the trials. So I thought he closed off really nicely behind a dominant maiden winner and stable mate Own the Queen, who's a, a nice horse moving forward. I think while he's the horse, he's going to need a good steer from that awkward gate from Jade McNaught, but I really like the 1,400 metres as a, as a kickoff point for him, given he he looks the type that's going to get over a bit of ground in due time. So race two, number nine, Uni Strike, is probably my best each way play of the day there, or best value play of the day there in race number two, and a couple of horses that look well-placed to be breaking through race three, number seven, Magnus Sheen, Devil and Chris Harnham in race three. This is the weakest race this horse has come up against in her career to date. She was she comes through some really strong form lines leading into this and uh, if, I think if Chris Parnham can work her across into a prominent position without being close and deep, Gareth, this looks for the most suitable race for her for the preparation. The price, ideally... I've been wanting $3 plus, but the, I guess the $2.50 on offer at the moment is probably because she is coming from superior form lines to, to many of these. And, and race five, number five, Art of Consent, looks well placed here, back to midweek grade from a, a strong Saturday performance last start. Was only beaten a couple of lengths after getting across to the front and setting a really strong tempo in front. And that race has proven to be hot form since with two subsequent winners through Comic Hero and, and Art of Sabrage and numerous other place getters from that race as well. So it's been a, a really strong form reference. And, and Maddie Derrick should have the speed, I think, to cross to the front and, and roll along here. And from there, she's going to prove very hard to run down. So on a very, very thin program, Gareth, I think they're the, the three horses I'm happy to play around with. Race two, number nine, Uni Strike. Race three, number seven, Magna Sheen. Hoping for maybe $3 plus there. The $2.50 is a little bit under my price at the moment. And, and race five, number five, Art of Consent at around that $3.10. Maddie Derrick's turned into Maddie Pike. Um, being some yeah. bird form. She has. She's been... She's going super, and she's not just uh, riding them from in front. Gareth is utilising that claim. She, she's coming from the back, settling midfield. Horses are just running for her at the moment. It's really good to see. And in the, our, our apprentice ranks are, are pretty slim over here, Gareth, at the moment. It's good to see one really sort of stamp her authority over the past few weeks with Willie Pike uh, out of action. All right, mate. Love your work. Good luck today. Beautiful. Thanks, guys. There's, Cheers. There's Riley Morgan there doing the form for us for Belmont. We'll take a break. Butch Castles and Darren Carroll along with Simon Orchard coming up next. man seen red plenty of times and I'd be, I'd be a little frightened if this man saw red. Butch Castles, the king of New Zealand. Hello to you, Butch. G'day, Gareth. Man, not bad. Great New Zealand song there, eh? Yeah. Um, I deliberately played that for you. I was having dinner with your great mate, Lee Dennis, and Guy Mulcast the other day and you're right, we couldn't tell those stories they were telling me over the radio. <laughs> No, Chatham House rules. I hope you're oh, in play over dinner. Yes. They told me the story about how I can, I think I can repeat this story about how, um, <laughs> how, 
how you were you were working at the race club and you had Leith to bring you a white shirt and he brought the wrong white shirt. Yeah. Yeah, there appeared a little hole in the wall near the, uh, near my office after yeah. that. There was one simple job that he was uh, asked to do, and it was Derby Day as well, I might add. Yes, I think he yeah. ended up winning the Derby for us with Wahid, so he was forgiven late in the piece. Yes. What about at Taupo today? Can we back a few winners there? Yeah, look, pretty tricky, uh, I thought, but we'll go for one on an each-way basis and one that I think can win race three. Number four, Lorado. Opie Boston jumps on, freshened up this one out of the Stephen Marsh stable. It's 450 and 175. So, on an each way basis, race three, number four, Lorado, has uh, placed three or four at the trip. And I just think uh, that it might have found the, uh, the right race. I know there's a hot favourite in there, but uh, I give Lorado a nice each way chance. We'll go to race five, number 12, Tomodachi's won two of three trials. Most uh, recent uh, of them uh, in January. Uh, look, it's 270 into 220 since scratching. So plenty of mon for, money for it. The colours are going well, that of the Vellas. Uh, they've been, uh, they had two winners, uh, the Pincaro colours on Saturday, obviously Peter Vellas, so on Sunday even. So Tomodachi, I think, 270 into 220, race five, number 12. And on an each way basis, we'll go race three, number four, Lorado. Good on you, brother. You go and get them today. And, um, yeah, looking forward to seeing a few of the Kiwis head to Australia now, hopefully. Yeah, there are a few few aiming up, aren't there, which is uh, which is great. You'll see our uh, super sprinting mare, Imperatrice, Saturday. I know the trial model looked ordinary, but from all reports, work during the week was outstanding. So let's hope she's back to her best on Saturday. How are Tiako going at the moment? They don't seem to be firing as well as they had... Um, say six months ago, Butch. Yeah, I suppose there's a number of horses uh, over there. They'll uh, they'll uh, stoke up. I think Big Day at Matamata next week. Big Day Saturday at Ellerslie as well. Lead up to both the Derby and the Auckland Cup with the uh, Avondale Guineas and Avondale Cup. A couple of really good races. Particularly, uh, we'll see Orchestral get up to 2,100 metres, and uh, that'll, I suppose, tell us whether she heads to the 2,400 metres of the Derby or the 2,000 metres of the Wait for Age race on the second day of the Auckland Cup Carnival. Really, really strong fields, both of those Avondale Cups and Guineas on Saturday. Good on you, Butch. Thanks for that, mate. Looking forward to that already. There we go. There's the great yeah. Butch Castles. Darren Carroll joins us. G'day, Daz. Morning, Gareth. Um, unfortunately, no racing at Ararat. We're thinking of everyone around the Grampians region. Yeah, it's terrible. Yeah, terrible. it is terrible. There's some devastating news out of that area, so... Yeah. Um, yeah, terrible stuff. Um, Geelong tonight. Um, what do you like? Uh, Geelong today and oh, Echuca today, tonight, sorry. Gareth. Yeah. Yep, you're right. Um, so Geelong, I've got a couple there. Just one of the Chuka, but Geelong will start off race six, number six, always sky high. David Murphy trained horse. It's got really good gate speed. Um, I think it actually is better suited from an outside draw, which it's got. I think it can find the front. Um, not the end of the game if it doesn't because it's adaptable and there's one from the death and had some really good races from there. But I think if it finds the front, it'd be awfully hard to beat and that's what we always like uh, to bet on. So it's the first one. The other one I like is race eight, number four, the Statesman, with a great man, Chris Elford. Um, another with really good gate speed. I expect to find the front. It was beaten by a really, really smart horse last start in Fighter Command and it took everything from Fighter Command to get it you know, right near the post. Um, I just think it suits. Got the sprint trip, Alpha to board, very hard to catch, about 250 at the moment. So they're both good bets there at Geelong. And then we move to Echuca, just got the one play there. 
Um, I thought I found a bit of a value play, Gareth, but it's uh, been a bit smashed this morning. So race six, number three, Yapper. Um, open as much as 7.50, but you can still get about 4.20 with bet 3.65 at the moment. Um, it's had two runs this time in from a spell, and, oh, gee, it's been unlucky. The first time the seat fell off, and the second time it got um, badly checked at about the 400 when it was still yes. travelling very well. Um, so I'm convinced that uh, if it led, um, it'd probably just about win if it led, but it's got Glenn Bulger on the front uh, on the pole horse. Uh, that's always a hard task to get past him, um, but it's not the end of the world if it doesn't lead. So I just thought at the value price, it was a really nice bet. Race eight, uh, race six, number three, Yapper. So they're the three for the day, Gareth. All right, then, Daz, you go and get them. Good luck, mate. See ya. There's Darren Carroll there. And Simon Orchard from the thedogs.com.au, the home of Greyhound Racing, joins us. On this Wednesday, hello to you, mate. Morning, G. How are things, my friend? I'm good, thank you. What are we doing today? We've got some brilliant racing there at Richmond tonight. Yeah, we'll start at tomorrow, then we'll head to Richmond, G. Best at tomorrow, 6-2, Bart's Choice. Throwback to the Simpsons. God, that was a good show growing up. Uh, look, comes into this off a great win, tracking trip last week. Jumped really well, got covered up around the turn. Had to check off heels, duck and dart around him and still had the motor to run down. The leader, so it was pretty impressive, especially as it was as it was his first run in four months. I reckon he'll take a bit of improvement out of that. He draws better today in box two. He likes Tamora, six two. Bart's choice, the best bet down uh, in the south of the state today. And then at Richmond tonight, race two, number eight, all on Mum. About two bucks with bet three six five at the moment, Gareth, but she's not the favourite. Hurricane Rain, the national futurity runner-up, okay. will jump for box one. She can certainly run. She's only a two-time winner. I'm not knocking her. She's a good dog. But Jason Magri is absolutely airborne again. Six winners from his last eight starters. He's just picked up where he left off last year. All on mum has had every one of her 14 runs at, track, at the Richmond track. I think in his small field of five, she can run down the outside and absolutely blitz them. Two eight. All on mum, the best at Richmond tonight. Go and get them tonight. Thanks, mate. Very much. There's Simon Orchard. Thanks to the dogs.com.au, the home of everything Greyhound Racing in New South Wales. That was Bag of Tips. Thanks to Oz Equipment Rental, supplying equipment to the construction, mining, and roadworks industries. OzEquipment.com and the Ultima Hotel in the heart of the Mallee. Welcome back to Giddy Up. This is Giddy Up's great game with the Wolf Dan's Richard Irvine, the very. Very own Richard Irvine, the man behind the wolf Hey, Rich, the news of the day was that Adam Hieronymus has lost the ride on Storm Boy. James McDonald is booked to ride this colt tomorrow at the trials at Rose Hill, and then James will ride Switzerland on Saturday in the Piero Plate, and then Ryan Moore and James McDonald. We'll work out who rides who, Switzerland in the slipper, or will it be Stormboy, the colt that is the favourite at the moment? Hippo has done nothing wrong on, on Stormboy. He has ridden him a treat throughout the early part of his career, but I would imagine he would have been looked after after um, the sale of Stormboy, and it looks like he's picked up the ride on Lady of Conquest, who looks tough to beat in a blue diamond. If she wins that that well, um, not Conquest, um, Camelot. Lady of Camelot, <laughs> Um, hopefully she conquests the or conquers the the blue diamond. Then he will probably get the ride on her or one of Gay Waterhouse and Adrian Bott's horses in a, the slipper. So that's the game. That's the way that it all works. Rich, no real surprises there. I can't understand why people get so emotional about it. That's just business. And when yeah. when you're Coolmore and you're a powerhouse like they are in world racing, and you've got access to the 
two best jockeys in the world in Ryan Moore and James McDonald, you'd be why, why wouldn't you use them if you can? Yeah, and probably what will happen is that after Gone Slip on the Monday, your producers will be trying to call Hippo because he would have ridden Lady of Camelot to win the slipper. And we'll all think back to this and everyone will probably think, oh, it's probably fitting that he rode the slipper winner. So you never know what can happen. But, yeah, I think, you know, he's, uh, he'd be all right with it. And um, it certainly raised his profile a lot. And um, he gets closer to being one of the top jockeys in the world, like J-Mac and um, Ryan Moore, as you say. So, yeah, I'm probably slightly surprised. Um, that, that that he's off this quickly, but uh, yeah, there you go. It's it's been done. And you don't know what deals Coolmore have with Ryan Moore or James McDonald, so you just don't know what goes on behind closed doors. But I guess at the end of the day, that in a situation like this, Coolmore they like to use their own jockeys, and when there's a deal mm. like this on the table, then um, I don't think it was a surprise to me that Adam Hieronymus would be replaced by one of Ryan Moore or James McDonald. But um, Hippo's done a great job and he's come back and he gets an opportunity still to win a slipper and he can win a big blue mm. diamond as well. So, um, yeah, it's it's just the way sport is. Um, people get different opportunities and then people work, work hard to get into um, positions like James McDonald and Ryan Moore are in at the moment where they get the opportunity to ride for the, the biggest stable in the world. Um, mm. And that gives them more opportunities than others because of the situation. Yeah. But they have to get to that situation. So they've worked hard to, to get to that spot. So I say play mm. on. And, and um, I hope that, um, yeah, it would be interesting to see what happens. But Hippo, Hippo's done a great job and he's going to get more opportunities because he's riding for a great stable like Adrian Bott and Gay Waterhouse at the moment. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I caught up with Adrian Bott last week. Um, yeah. I was at a function. He's always great to chat to. Um, and I think, I'm not sure if it's come out in the press yet, but they're thinking they're going to run Storm Boy in the skyline. Have you heard that? Yeah, and that's not the it. No. That's, that's, that's been talked about, yeah. Yeah. So he'll have yeah. one run before the slipper. Um, and I think this will be Switzerland's. It might be his final race before the slipper as well. So it's going to be a great slipper. I think the two-year-olds are well above average, especially when the Colts are doing mm. what they're doing at the moment. So... Um, can't wait for the slipper and the blue diamond's going to be a beauty as well. And it just proves like the jocks these days, no J-Mac this week. And i got an interesting stat delivered to me from one of the, the traders at a corporate bookmaker suggesting that the influence that certain jockeys have on certain jurisdictions. And I was amazed the impact that James McDonald has on Sydney racing, especially like turnover mm. can be down 10% if he's not there, which is an astonishing figure when you think about it, Richie. Yeah, no, that that really surprises me. Yeah, yeah, that, that, that punters are so keen to back him. Yeah. Um, do you do you when you're with Wolfdam boys? Do you have, do you have, do you bet? Uh, are you more like go down the line of a trainer, or you just bet uh, as yeah. uh, on the horse, or do the jockeys play a major part? Yeah, they do. But probably what we do, like if you know, if the market is so keen to back James and Donald, then that probably presents value on other jockeys. So we'll steer away from J-Mac. You know, I'm not, I'm not saying that's what we do, but that's the kind of thing we look for. Like when horses are overbed or particular types of horses with that profile, you know, it might be when J-Mac rides for Walla, he get, he's way too overbed in the market. Yeah. And so then what we'll do is we'll go and back, you know, other horses in the race. Um, and it might be only a very small amount of, you know, percentage on turnover you can make. 
Um, but we're happy to do it. We just keep turning up and doing it each day. And you might go through a run of backing, you know, 10 losers in a row based on that kind of profile. But then you only need to tag a couple of horses at a decent price and you're in profit. So that's more about the way we look at that. Um, we look at it and it's, it's a tougher way to go because you have to have a bit of temerity to keep plowing ahead, even though when it feels like it's never going to turn. But generally speaking, it does. And that's sort of what we've always done over, over the years. Yeah, so it sets up opportunities for you to make money because J-Max over bet. Yeah, totally. And we're actually not really trying to back the fastest horse in the race. We're trying to back the profile that, the, that we think the market has mispriced or missed. Um, there is a little bit of, you know, trying to find the fastest horse in the race, but that's that's generally what we're doing. That's what all the, you know, the, the biggest syndicates do. Um, and, you know, try and turn over a lot of money based on that kind of concept. Yeah. And, um, and away you go. So how much would you turn over a day, say, on a Wednesday? Um, oh, well, more, like the King, the King bet's pretty big. Yeah. Um, I mean, all, all of it's combined. I think, what, 40 races? Yeah, probably like three or 400,000. Yeah, maybe. Like the whole, all the boys in the den on a Wednesday. Yeah. yeah. And, yeah. and, and um, is it just Wednesday, Saturday that you you – you you play obviously you had your horse yesterday racing suspect. Do you play most days? Yeah, no, that, well, like the dens open seven days a week, and there's, yes. there's people in here betting every day. Yeah, so we don't yeah we don't take a break. Um, there's always someone in here turning over money, which is great. Yeah, and um, that's the best job in the world when you think about it. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty good. Yeah, yeah, if you even call it a job. Who's the best horse in the country at the moment? Imperatories goes around in the. Lightning Stakes on Saturday, mm. the Black Caviar Lightning Stakes, but she's got a question marks on her, would you believe, despite her dream spring last time around, after a trial, and I don't even, I, I don't even think a, a track gallop um, set, set everybody alight to think, well, she's, she's going to just dominate the autumn like she did in the spring. Mm. But there's still a lot of water to go under the bridge there, we need to see her. I wish I win doesn't race very much because they look after him and they want to mm. make sure that he's ready to go for all the big, big prize money races. Think about it. It's fascinating to see what they'll do with him. Um, they've suggested that they might go down the path of the middle distance races instead of the sprint mm. races. But I, I don't see how he can go towards a Doncaster because he's going to get too much weight. And then mm. you've got horses like Storm Boy and some of the promising up and comers as well. Um, Mr. Brightside, and of Mr. Course. Brightside is the other one that continues to, like he's he's you love to own him. He's as kiss, he's consistent as ever. He's as brave as ever, and you know what you're going to get with him. Um, mm. So it's a great debate. It's a good spot racing's in it at the moment. Yeah, no, there's some really nice horses out there. Um, look, Mr. Brightside's the only horse that's come out and done it uh, this this autumn carnival, really. So that's in his favour. Probably lean towards Imperator just because she was so dominant over spring and so impressive. Um, but this, you know, think about it. Brilliant, brilliant horse. He only just got to the top level towards the end of his preparation, you know, last year. Um, but yeah, it's he's very, very good. So yeah, I don't know. Um, yeah, it, it, it's this autumn carnival will certainly sort out who is the Australian horse of the year. Um, is there any markets available on it? Have you seen any betting markets no, on No, no. Yeah. I think the horse of the year now, it's great debate really because without a fight would be a dollar fifty, and he probably just needed to win one big race in the autumn. Win mm. an Australian Cup or even go close in Australian Cup to, yeah. to win yeah. the honours of horse of the year. 
And sometimes we forget about the deeds of the spring horses and what they do because mm. obviously the season finishes at the end of July. But when you've got a horse like it without a fight that he dominated a Caulfield Cup and he dominated a Melbourne Cup, like he's awfully hard to beat. And Peritrees yeah. is probably the only horse that could knock him off at the moment. Yeah. And she, she probably just needs to win one or maybe two group ones to de, to defeat him. Um, if Stormboy can do a triple ground, can win the triple crown, that'll be interesting. And I think he's a few lengths off him, Mr. Brightside, but if he can win an Australian Cup All-Star Mile, yeah. um, he's going to be hard to beat. So I think he's about a $2 chance at the moment, you would imagine, without a fight, but he's in the box seat. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's sort of passed him by, but no, he was really one of the better Melbourne Cup wins we've seen this year. And I look, I think, think about it, depending on what he does in the autumn, you know, winning the um, winning the Everest like he did, that was very, very impressive. And then he was obviously very impressive earlier in the year, but that's not going to count towards the um, Australian Horse of the Year for this year. So yeah, look, it's, it's, it's very competitive. Often in years gone by, there's the standout and no one gets close to them, but there's yeah, as you say, three or four red hot chances this year. Yeah, there was Animo that just dominated. He was a short price favourite to win the horse of the year last season. But yeah, you're right. It's a, they should be betting on that. And they should be betting like I know that there's some bookmakers that do it, but I'd love to see a market for that Sydney Jockeys premiership because Melbourne's nearly well, Melbourne I thought was all over, but D Lane has got a suspension and he hasn't had a winner for the last couple of weeks, but he's still got a healthy lead. And, but he'll be away for a little bit now. He's got to go to Sydney, Adelaide for the carnivals there. And he's probably got some international opportunities as well, D-Lane. And then you've got J-Mac who's battling another injury at the moment. And Jason Collett, to his credit, and Nash Rewilla, um continue to ride winners. Nash has just got to stop getting suspended. But I think they had a lot of theatre and interest going forward. Yeah. Wouldn't it be fantastic if Nash could win it? Who you? Yeah, at 49 years of age. Yeah, and I tell yeah. you what, he'd probably nearly be favourite at the moment. I thought, like, I thought Macca, um, with all the opportunities that he would get, would be a short price favourite. But now with that injury and the cloud over him at the moment, um, that that market's probably two fifty Nash, two dollars twenty um, Macca, and then I think he's three dollars mm. or maybe high two dollars for for Jason Collett. He keeps on riding mm. winners. How important would it be to J-Mac to win the premiership? Do you think he cares that much about it? I think I mean, he, he just... does. I think he wants to continue to like get to 10 straight premierships. And then I would imagine he might go over to Hong Kong eventually. Um, right. But I think that would be his goal, to, to leave a legacy and, and, and smash the records here in, you know, here in Australia. Um, mm. And then see what he can do in the latter, latter stages of his career when he, if he goes to Hong Kong, if he decides to go that way. But... Um, yeah, it'll be, yeah, I, I think it's really important to him. I think you'll see him stay in Sydney for as long as possible and he won't be going overseas this year. I think he'll stay to try and win the premiership. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Your thoughts there? Yeah. Um, it's hard to know. He's, he's, he's sort of all over the world, isn't he? All the time. He seems very focused on riding the best horses across the world. Um, I did a podcast with his wife and sort of said, you know, do you want to follow the path of Zach and, and get out and not come back and, you know, really set yourself up over in Hong Kong or something? And she sort of said, no, that's not really the plan. They're pretty happy in Sydney and stuff. Um, so, yeah, um, I, I don't really know. I, I'd love to find out. Yeah. Um, 
next time you chat with him. Yep. All right, then we'll take a quick break. It's 10.26. It's news time. This is Giddy Up's Great Game with Richard Irvine from the Wolf Den. Gareth, all with you. We'll come back with plenty of your questions straight after this. 0499 736 736 to join the conversation. Welcome back to Giddy Up. This is Giddy Up's Great Game. Gareth Hall and Richard Irvine from the Wolf Den with you. Richie, I don't know if you caught the banner between Mark Sarr and Johnny O'Neill and Giddy Up on the means test the other day. All in a bit of fun. Um, I did see all that, yeah. Yeah, what did you, make, what did you make of that? Yeah, well, so I don't know. I don't, personally, are they, are they good mates usually and they're just having a bit of fun well, with it all? Well, I think they're what? mates. I don't know if they're great mates. Oh, I think they're pretty good mates. Um, yeah, so... Like, I, I didn't... You'd have to sort of feel me, and I was pretty busy on Saturday. I saw Bold Bastille was, was very disappointing. And so John O'Neill wasn't happy with the ride. Is yeah, that right? he wasn't happy with the ride, and he made that clear there on Monday. And then Mark Sarr is over at um, Super Bowl at the moment, and he got back... Living the dream. Yeah, living the dream, like only M. Zara can. What a world we live in. And, like, <laughs> he's living the best version of himself um, and living the dream. So hats off to him. And he's a superstar rider, and he said Johnny needs to go to Specsavers and have a close look at himself. So, I, I think it's it's it. People go, oh, why? Like, it's a different opinion from an owner's point of view compared to a form analyst. Um, so, and that's why. And I mentioned this just before. That's why we get him on Giddy Up because you got Wayne Hawks and Johnny O'Neill, one from mm. an owner's perspective and one from a trainer's perspective, and their their opinions. And obviously, they're self-interest in it, of course, but their opinions are going to be going to be different than, say, the punters or the foreman uh, analysis. Um, so, and what um, was John's criticism of? of oh, the he ride? said he Did went he... too quick. He said he went right. too quick. Um, but it's, um, I think, I think they weren't expecting Blake Shin to kick up. They thought they could have too much pace, go to the front, dictate terms, and mm. give a good kick. But um, she had that setback and. She she wasn't fit enough to do what she did there on Saturday, so that was the end of the story. Um, and and you, what's the wash up with Bold Bastille? Because well, she, she was, they said she pulled up lame, and then this is mm. the other interesting perspective about all this that the punters don't get to see. And Johnny makes a point here, and he would know because he owns the horse, all right. And we don't have the mm. privilege to have this insight um, usually, but. So every time a horse runs bad, or most of the time anyway, they say it pulls up lame. Um, and he, the horse said, the, the steward's report said that she pulled up lame, but then from Johnny's report to us on Monday that there, she's trotted up perfectly and she right. just had a tough run. And sometimes yeah. they do have tough runs and they finish out the back and, and it can be half a second or second when they go a length too quick up front that couldn't see them drop out. And that's mm. the... That's the difference between winning or losing or being in the finish or not at the end of the day. Mm, and will they push on the Blue Diamond? Yeah, they will pull. I, I might play the um, – no, they'll push on to the if, – if she's okay, I would imagine. Yeah, um, yeah. But there's other options for her as well. So that would be yeah, interesting we... to see how it plays out. Yeah, yeah. But I think sometimes racing, we can have a little bit of fun. Sometimes we do take ourselves a little too serious. <laughs> Definitely. Yeah. <laughs> Um, yeah. so yeah, it'll be interesting to see what happens after that. Um, favorite athlete to punt on. Now I was watching Mahomes the other day and everyone was telling me like, you just back Mahomes when it comes to these big matches, he wins another Super Bowl. He, he was probably a little bit quiet in the early part of that. And I'm no NFL expert in the early part of the match. Um, and the 49ers were well on top, but then at the end of the game clutch, he just gets the job done. 
Yeah, he's incredible. He's just so clutch. And, you know, the so what, I think the score was roughly like 19-16. It was a minute 45 to go. And, you know, in many situations in any kind of sport, when there's that little time left on the clock, the team that's just in front should be able to close it off. But there wasn't even any kind of talk that the game was even remotely close to over. And I think there was this kind of resignation from everyone, the commentators, the crowd, and everybody that was in the pub that I was watching, that like Mahomes at least would get them down the field and get them at least that, you know, the field goal to take it to overtime. Yeah. I've never seen someone so clutch as him. He's just incredible. Yeah, so who's your favourite athlete? Let us know, 499-736-736 to punt on. Um, who's the one that never lets you down? Is it LeBron during a playoff series? Is it Steph Curry in the NBA? Um, could be Dustin Martin in his heyday when he was dominating for the Richmond Football Club. Um, Nathan Cleary comes to mind now. He rarely makes a mistake, especially in finals football for the Penrith Panthers. Yeah, he did. Um, he he won the grand final for him, basically, didn't he? Yeah. And then he said he took it took it on his shoulders pretty much. He had a bit of help. There's some very, very good players around him that helped him do it. But yeah, there's there, there's some AFL athletes that you can trust. Um, but I think Mahomes is definitely at the top of the list there, knowing that if you just if you don't know what you're doing, just just back Mahomes, <laughs> and usually yep. he'll he'll come out on top. Um, from a from a sports betting point of view. Do you think like there was a million people watching the NFL there in Australia, and that's not counting KO, that was just on Channel 7 and 7 Plus. How mm. big do you think this game will get, especially in this country? Yes. Yeah, I think I think it's growing pretty quickly. Um, interesting. There's a few stories during the week saying that that might be to do with the, you know the, the growth of sports betting in Australia, um, and, and I hope that that is the case because you know I love betting and. Um, it's you know, sports betting growing in Australia. That's great for horse racing as well because it helps the overall game. I think it's on at a very favourable time. Like I think anyone who's lucky enough to be able to chill out on a Monday and watch NFL for most of the day, it's, it's a pretty good thing to do. A lot of people in our industry do that because a lot of us are busy over the weekends and people often have a day off on Monday. Um, and it's just such a great product. They put it together so well. Watching sport these days is so amazing on these TVs that we've yeah. got. They're high definition. You know, they, they put so much effort in the broadcast. So I think it will continue to grow and grow. Um, but I hope, obviously, the Australian football codes can continue to look at them, just look what the NFL does and, and, um, and continue to grow. Of course, the NRL is starting in Vegas in a couple of weeks' time, which will be brilliant. That'll be exciting. Do you think it will be exciting in Las Vegas? Will you be going there? Definitely not. I retired from Vegas when I got married, so yes. I won't be going back. No. Um, but... Um, yeah, I mean it'll be it'll be incredible um, weekend over there. I actually was in I was at the SDN studio in North Sydney, and I, the American consulate there. And I walked past, and there was a massive queue of people standing outside the American consulate wearing suits. And you you know you can tell people are wearing suits, and they don't really ever wear them; it just doesn't look right. Um, so I think it's probably a lot of scallywags who've been in, in a bit of trouble over the years and, and want to go over to. Um, America for the Super Bowl, but they've got to get their visas approved by the US because they're pretty oh, strict okay. on visas over there. There's it's quite couple, funny. There's a couple of NRL players that are struggling, I think, at the moment. Well, then that was sort of what I was saying. They mostly were NRL players, but I, you know, I thought I'd probably leave it there. <laughs> <laughs> well, you can mention names. Um, I think they've been in the paper anyway. The great James yeah, yeah, man's yeah, yeah, been yeah. in trouble. So um, he's trying to get, a, he's trying to get a, a visa for Las Vegas, but... Um, It'll be interesting to see, first of all, how many people actually go to the matches. And yeah, I think they're struggling to sell them, 
sell them out. But you know, I mean, it, it was never it was never really about the crowd they get there. I mean, no, it's growing the game, but it's a yeah. difficult market to really try and break into. Yeah, super difficult. And and is it actually been articulated that it's it's a it's about betting like they want to try and or is that just kind of a rumor? Um, no, I think that's it. I think that Peter Vland is a smart working out different revenue streams for the game and sports betting mm. will play a major part. Um, yeah. So, um, yeah, I, I think Vegas is a great place to go and play the game. I don't know if it'll work or not, but you've got to try it, don't you? I think. Yeah, no, I think it's brilliant. And that, and that stadium, I mean, just playing in that stadium would be incredible. Yeah. Um, um, there's, there's a few nominations coming through from favourite athletes to punt on that you can, that don't let you down. There's some left field ones I need to look up and do a little bit of research on. <laughs> Djokovic is one. He never yeah. lets you down. Rafa Nadal yep. on clay. Yeah, um, he's a moral for a multi. He's yeah. probably nearly the best one, isn't he? Um, yeah. Rafa Nadal on clay in his day. Um, a Russian badminton superstar in uh, Kotsikaya or something like that. Um, I'll have to Google <laughs> that one to see if that's yeah, you got right. me there. But, yeah. yeah. Um, who else have we got? Um, I've got to go. There's a few names there. I don't know if people are taking the PIWS here. Um, <laughs> another one for Rafa Nadal. I think tennis is a little bit different to other sports that you can, I suppose in the, in recent history, um, in this generation, we've had three players that have completely dominated the game and Djokovic, Federer and Nadal, and they've been pretty sure bets. Um, when they're being playing anyway, especially early in tournaments. So there's a few nominations coming through there. It's 10.38. Don't go anywhere. This is Giddy Up's great game. Richard Irvine, Gareth Hall with you on this Wednesday morning. Back with plenty more. Wednesday morning, 10.44 in at the East. It's uh, 7.44 in WA, 9.44, of course, in Queensland, 12.44 in New Zealand at the moment. And uh, the great Richie Irvine, who's joining us from the Wolf Den on this Wednesday morning. Richie, what are you making favourite today at Wolf Den? Do you like the cards? It's interesting, isn't it, these midweek meetings with so much night racing happening at the moment. These meetings can be... The Wednesday meetings just aren't the same, really, in the summer. Yeah. No, um, you've actually ca- caught me off guard. I, I haven't got a set for you, but I can get it because the set last week wasn't yes, too bad. Yes, it was sensational, Richie. Yeah, well, it was, I think it was two two from three, um, and one of the, the longer price one didn't win. But I might have to come back to you now, on, I'll on get those the, ones. I'll get, them in, I'll get them in just a moment. So I, I've got a few text messages coming through. The turf matter, that was fantastic, Um I did one with John Massara way back that I really enjoyed doing. We're going to drop one on Friday morning. So I don't know if anyone knows this, but on Friday, if Colin Hayes was still alive, he would be turning 100. Yes. Um, I, I discovered that when I was putting together that, the podcast on Lindsay Park that I'm doing, or I guess you call it almost a vlog. Um, so I thought it was a bit of a tribute to that. I'm going to publish that on Friday, 7 a.m., which would be Colin Hayes' 100th birthday. Great tribute to the legacy that he's left. Um, and then I will put the Sam Kavanaugh one up mid next week. And yeah, it's, um, you know, I think it's a storyteller's job is to make people feel something. And I think everyone who watches that podcast when we drop it will feel something. Um, it's, he's very entertaining too, and he's a great horseman. He knows a lot about a lot about thoroughbreds, and it was really good. It was, 
part of it where we just sat down and chatted actually in the in the auditorium, the sale auditorium in Inglis, and then we wandered around um, sales and he talked about the different horses that he liked and yeah. we've got some footage of the, the horses that he was lucky enough to buy and stuff. So, yeah, I, I, we're always trying to provide insight. I think, you know, the insight that you can get from someone who's trying to buy champion horses at sales is probably not something that we get to see a lot of. Um, so that's why I was keen to do it. Um, I found one that the Den's really keen Randwick race three yes. number four, um, probably about two dollars sixty. A couple of the boys in the den are very good judges; are very keen on this. Okay, I think that's the horse. I'm just having a look at it now at Randwick race three, horse number four. Yep, that's Trice. Mickey Gannon's keen on it. We had Johnny Sargent on today. They'll go straight to the front and try and lead them a merry dance. So that could be our play race three number four there at Randwick on the Kensington track. And a bit of a price as well, you know, two sixty yeah. is not too bad. And there was one um, race five. We got one uh, Pondalowi. It's into dollar eighty five now, but this is probably the most exciting horse at Ballarat today. Race five, horse number six, but um, it's been heavily supported this morning. Yeah, yeah. Um, I've got a. I'll give it a multi as well. Yes. Um, so we're going to go to Doomben race two number six. It's called Bucks Fizz. And then we'll put it into um, Randwick race six, number seven, Balkans. Um, probably, you know, might get about $5 for that multi. So Balkans is at um, Randwick. What number is that again? Race race six, number seven. Yeah. And what was it, Dooman? We're going to go to race two, number six, Bucks Fizz. Race two, number six. Love it. A few other nominations coming through for athletes. Lance Franklin, who's your favourite athlete to bet on? Lance Franklin from 2008-2016. Gareth Leet to fame is just moral every time he steps out on a harness racing track. He's the next, like, he's the big superstar in the sport of harness racing, Rich. He won again on Saturday night in the Cranbourne Pacing Cup. He'll go Mm. to a Newcastle mile in a couple of weeks' time, and he looks awfully hard to beat in a Miracle Mile. The Miracle Mile will be the toughest race for him to win uh, I think from a grand circuit point of view, because if he doesn't draw well, it's difficult to win from a bad draw in a miracle mile. Um, mm. But yeah, he's something else, I think. Yeah. And of course we've got the, um, the huge, huge two Saturday nights of racing in the Meadows as well. Yeah. We've got, ex- yeah, we've got explicit who was a superstar in the Tem Lee. Um, mm. He looks like he might be the next big thing. In Greyhound racing. He gave Jason Thompson his fifth Tem Lee there the other day. In mm. fact, Jason Thompson, I've never seen a trainer that will dominate. Like He's got the best kennel of greyhounds, especially from a sprinting point of view that I can recall for probably ever, really, in my time following greyhound racing. Um, mm. There's a chance if the brakes go his way, he could have three or four in a, in a Group 1 Australian Cup final. It's quite it extraordinary. Be yeah. And he continues. And I, yeah. No, I was going to say, I, I, I'm only starting to sort of follow greyhound racing a bit bit more closely, which I'm really enjoying, but they seem to say that Explicit's one right out of the box, very young. I think it's at 11 from 13 or something now, and um, yeah, they don't, they don't know how, how high its limit is, so that's exciting. No, he continues to get the job done. Hey, um, so um, we just recapped your best bets, mate. We'll, we'll do it all again next week. We've got Hong Kong tomorrow night, so Tommy Wood will join us tomorrow for Happy Valley, because they only had racing on Monday night there with the Chinese New Year on... Um, earlier on the week, so they've pushed their, their midweek meeting to a Thursday night. Just before we let you go, Imperatrice, do you think she wins the Lightning Stakes or are you taking her on? Because Definitely she wins, yeah. No, she'll, I mean, my heart says, yeah, she'll win, 
don't don't listen to all the noise. Um, and I think that we'll probably all the boys in the end will be on it because she'll stuck up in terms of the ratings and yeah. and and how the race looks. And yeah, I'm I'm super excited. It's um, yeah, the racing is just so good for the next you know basically two months. Um, yeah, I can't wait for it. And yeah, I think she wins. Um, I hope she does. Um, interested in secret because you did call the new winks, didn't she? All the next black. Well, no, well, 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 well. No, what I, I did clearly say that if she was to go through this year and you know dominate, of, basically yes. undefeated, and but I mean it's like that's not really saying anything particularly outlandish. I mean, it, it, no. if she really was to win, say, say she races seven or eight times, she won all of them. Well, of course, she'd get up to that kind of level. Yeah, um, but there's a long, long, long way to go. Jeez, I, um, I love you. You you fitted into this family beautifully with those big opinions and big calls, <laughs> Richie boy. The thing I just the final thing on Imperage is just the way that she just was so dominant. That's what I really like yeah. to see. You don't see that happen that much. And yeah, in the in the champion sprint, you know, she had to work very hard to to get there. But those those good horses do. That's why we loved Winks and Black Caviar because they just continually scrapped and fought. And you know, in terms of the marathon that it is to try and become a champion, a, a genuine champion, like. Winks and Black Caviar, you know, I completely acknowledge Imperatures run about two kilometres of the 42 kilometres you've got to run. But at least we've got, you know, a marathon runner. So let's let's see what happens. No, it's exciting times, mate. Great work. We'll catch up with you next week. Good luck on the punt today and going forward. It's another terrific day of racing in Sydney and Melbourne and the carnival is well and truly in full swing. And it's going to be some six or seven weeks. In fact, it's, I think we've got, um, last Saturday was the first of 17 straight weeks of Group 1 racing with um, the ending with the, the Stradbroke handicap. All right, mate, we'll catch up with you next week.